Hello, I'm Matthew Burrett. And I'm Taylor Romans, and this is Hard Beeswax, Experiences in Waldorf Education. This week on Hard Beeswax, Taylor and I speak with my sister, Rebecca Burrett, who is an art instructor and Waldorf alumni from Green Meadow Waldorf School. And the true Waldorf student in our family. If you are enjoying listening to these episodes, please consider helping us continue this work by making contributions to the show. You can do this through our website and our Patreon account by making one-time donations, or if you could, consider making monthly contributions, which goes to support our work here at the Hard Beeswax Podcast Studio. If a financial contribution is not in the cards, please consider sharing our episodes with friends, family, or anyone else you think might enjoy what we are doing here at the podcast. We thank you all for listening. We realize that we are just two individuals who are part of this global educational movement, and we want to be very clear that we are only speaking from our own experiences and from our own impressions. We do not presume to speak for the Waldorf movement as a whole. We have a very exciting guest with us today. I'm sitting here in art studio, looking across the table at two faces who bear a shocking resemblance to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, today on the show, it's my pleasure to introduce my sister, Rebecca Burrett. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to the Hard Beeswax podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's uh, an opportunity that's comes around the holidays when we get to see each other and I I think I maybe strong armed you a little bit into into this interview. <laughs> maybe a little bit, but actually I'm I'm really happy to be here. So yeah. it's I think it's it's great to get all of our stories told. Yeah. yeah, I believe everybody has something important to share from their experience. And it it is one of the unique distinguishing factors in my belief of a Waldorf education is that it is acknowledges the individuality of each person who is going through it, that there isn't a set checkbox of each Waldorf graduate shall have X, Y, Z, etc. Right. Exactly. And yeah. so that means that the stories are so unique. Absolutely. Yep. Good. So before we get into the Rebecca roasting Matthew part of the show. (laughs) I thought maybe we could just talk a little bit about, you know, what your experiences were and where you started and, you know, the fact that you're the real Waldorf student and not me and so on. Yes, which by the way, if you really have to know, I I have two years extra on top of Matthew. Yeah, so you're... You're the real deal. Yes. <laughs> just, just kidding. Just kidding. Can the real Waldorfian Burrett please stand up? Yeah, yeah, not me. Not me. So I'm curious, Rebecca, of maybe like your first memories of childhood and what, you know, what they looked like. Like, what do you remember of your environment? Because I believe, no, when you were young, you weren't at Green Meadow yet. My kindergarten was in a public school. Just let's yes. make sure. Okay. Yeah, so we, I was, we were living in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Okay. And then my family, um, went, my parents divorced and my, the connection I made with, with John Metric, my first grade yeah. teacher, it was, it was my entering first grade that helped us go to the Green Meadow Walder School. Got it. So then, so then back to you, what were your kind of early childhood experiences? What do you remember from... You know, from just being a human on the earth and those early years of being alive. Well, I think the main thing was a lot of outside time. So I just remember just be outside, whether it was raining or, or cold or, you know, sunny and warm. Um, we had this beautiful uh, campus and um, our play area was had rock walls and mm-hmm. sandboxes and natural a lot of natural landscaping and and some trees and um so I remember just always just exploring and picking up rocks and having a lot of just hands on 
activities with with nature in particular. Um, but as far as the inside spaces go, they, um, I just remember a lot of colors. Uh, the walls were all, always really warm. Mm-hmm. Um, the I remember the food. We had mm. amazing soups and bread. We, we learned to, to make bread. Oh, the bread. And I think you, you, you might have mentioned it with some of the other interviews yeah. uh, about the food. Um, it was the same thing. It was just a lot of very home-style, a lot of home-style cooking that we were involved in making and uh, enjoying afterwards. Um, and painting, I remember a lot of painting with watercolors. That was a really big deal for me. We, we had just a, a limited palette of primary colors, mm-hmm. but just learning how to blend all the primary colors were, were it sounded so simple, but it was just a very um, eye-opening experience. It was a, it was just a lot of expo- exploration with materials. Yeah, and then even the um, the beeswax in the classroom, we 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 made animals with mm-hmm. the beeswax. Um, we also did uh, I know a lot of play with uh, porches. You know, making forts yes. with different veils. So mm-hmm. even the touch of the fabric, the, yeah. the silk fabrics was really special. Yeah. Um, Did you have the big clips? The, wooden... the big clips, of course. <laughs> of course. And if the rubber bands were in tiny enough, they would snap. Yes. So that was a big deal. Yes. <laughs> um, it is. So, it, yeah, it was just a wonderful, warm, nurturing time. It's the feeling I, I, I got. It is so interesting that when I think about the watercolor painting, I agree with you. It was almost like something alchemical, right? That wet on wet where you, you know, you dip your brush in. And I remember there were all these little isms around, you know, just a tiny dip. You know, you didn't want to dip it all the way in, you know, and it was like the little deer going to the stream and taking a little sip or, you know, there were just all these Mm. images associated with these movements. And then you would touch your brush to the paper and it would just, it's yeah. like yeah, an explosion absolutely. as the wet met the wet and like out of your control almost mm-hmm. totally out of your control and also you know there was a lot of nature imagery too so mm-hmm. that was that made the connection for me with play outside and be inside was, and then we had a lot of story um characters from stories that were in the classroom whether they were made out of beeswax or mm-hmm. acorns or cloths sewn together yeah um and even in the painting, it was just like the gnomes came in into the scene with in the in the forest, and um, and I actually remember in particular um, that we didn't have a name or number to our work. We had an animal. Oh, so like a symbol, as a symbol to stand for a name. Yeah. Um, what was yours? A bunny rabbit. Oh, okay. So um, that's probably why I. That was a favorite animal of mine for years, <laughs> yeah. just because of that. Was that also the symbol that was on your coat hook yes. and on your yeah? yeah. The and, and behind every every painting you've done, you were they you know um, just drawing a little bunny in the quarter or an animal that you were you were associated with. I was the, the star wand. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, I missed all of that. Yeah, Matthew doesn't have an animal. <laughs> <He's not laughs> oh, no. Oliver was a, is a sailboat, though. His symbol oh, yeah, was a sailboat. sailboat. Yeah. Oh, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. It is so so funny how that it was like that that imagery or whatever that symbol was was relevant. I mean, I remember seeing you know I would see a star wand with the ribbons coming off of it in a store, and I would say, "That's me. That's, yeah. that's my my you know my talisman. That's my symbol." Yeah. Well, I told my daughter about that, and so every time she sees a bunny, she's like, "Oh, there's mom." Yeah. There's there's mom. So she'll bring them home and you know, all the little big animal. Buddy figurines. Yeah. She'll bring them home. Oh, that's yeah. very sweet. So you have a collection. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like also, I, I just have this recollection of like early Christmases with relatives who don't really know you. And, you know, someone would have one time said, oh, she likes, um, she likes rabbits. And then, you know, every year for Christmas, it's, <laughs> it's another rabbit. It's another <laughs> rabbit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, cr- luckily it did it 
get that far yeah. in my family. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. So then, so you were in Waldorf kindergarten for two years? Mm-hmm. And what, um, how did you view going to first grade as a kindergartner? Was it something you were nervous about? Was it something you were excited about? How was your, you know, as a, as a child, how did you view that next transition? Um, I, I think, well, first of all, I remember walking to the classroom. So, um, I remember holding my mom's hand and we were walking and the classroom was set with the door facing outside with a little golden patio and so I just have that recollection of the walking and seeing that, that door. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think I was pretty excited, more, yeah. more so than nervous. Um, so what happened was we, everyone would just come in one by one and sit in a circle. The, the, the chairs were the small yeah. child-sized chairs were all running in a circle. So you just got to choose a spot. And you sat in the circle and you just wait until everyone comes in. And it was just kind of cool. I just remember just checking everyone out and made my... And this is... This may embarrass Matthew more, but I, I made my first crush on a little boy uh-huh. in the class. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I, you know, immediately was just felt really comfortable and, and very just, just ready to start the experience. Yeah. And the teacher was greeting everyone very warmly and, um, I don't remember much what happened after that, yeah. but um, it was a great introduction, and I felt really comfortable and really wel- welcomed. So, who was your class teacher? Uh, Mrs. Manassas. Um, she was an amazing teacher. Um, so the funny thing about you know how every great teacher has their strengths. Mm-hmm. Also, their weaknesses as well, as yes. we all know, having experienced some teaching. Um, well, she was an amazing uh, musician. Oh, wow. Which was interesting because um, I'm hearing impaired. I uh, have a profound hearing loss. So it was kind of like, oh, wow, this is the teacher I end up with. Yeah. You know, who, who in so many ways is working in the hearing realm. Right. Right. So, so she had us, I, I think even in the first day, she had us sing right away. Yeah. And, um, we sang all, I don't know how many times a day, but we were always singing yeah. some songs. And even during break times we were singing and, and she would introduce us to a whole range of um, musicians. Uh, so I really appreciated that yeah. experience. Even though I couldn't sing, I can't. I, I couldn't hold a tune, and it yeah. was just still a really cool experience. Um, we we even went as far as um, she she we had some really talented. Uh, people in the class who could sing really well, mm-hmm. and um, they, they, so the whole class came together and we were able to perform mm-hmm. at different places. All you know, starting at around third grade, all wow. the way to eighth grade, more more so in the old in the older grades. Um, but we even got to the point of recording, Ma- made a CD recording. Uh, we we were we had a recorded calm and wow. had the whole experience of recording our music and um so I mean so it it, it was a, a really incredible experience being wow. around music like that. Wow. And and was that do you feel like you had music in the home as much before or was it really like a sudden just opening to the world of possibility around making music? Well, um, we, we didn't have 
a lot of music at home. It was just I, I, a lot of my music experience was through the through Mrs. Manassas as well as um, through playing the violin. I did mm. get to play the violin as well. Um, I think more so it was just the idea that you know I wasn't limited to just when I was given, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Our home was, I wouldn't say, I mean, it was musical, but we, we had a different relationship to, to music, I think, than most, because oftentimes it was about, you know, having, helping Rebecca to, you know, to understand what was going on and, and, and mitigate the different sounds mm. because Rebecca had to learn how to hear all over again which was part of your journey through those grade school years. I can't, I can't imagine that. That's, you know, and I think for, for someone who has never experienced not having their senses on the, t on the tip of their fingers, right. That it's so easy to take for granted how each piece of our taking in information about the world plays into our construction of, yeah. the world. And, um, yeah, I, I, I really, it, it is, it's so incredible. You know, I've heard a tiny bit of your story from Matthew, but I, it's incredibly inspiring to think of taking something on like that, especially as a child. Right. Well, so, so yeah, absolutely. I think the, what was interesting was the, so a, a lot of what, the music side and just sound in general, a lot for me it was just about what, recognizing what it is, what what mm. it is, what is it that I'm hearing. Yeah. And so I remember when even in kindergarten with with my mother with my mother um, taking walks in the woods and having experience with listening to the nature, you know what what was what was around me and the first recognition I had was water going over the rocks in the in the stream. Yeah. And ever since then it was just became it, it just built on top of each other. And yeah. so by the time I was in kindergarten in first grade, attending the school and having this music exposure and playing the violin, it was even cementing more of the recognition of okay, I you know the the what's a half note? What's what's an you know what's it? What's all the um, different chords? What are they doing? And yeah. what's the quality of these the, different co chords? Yes, what's a quality? Even just hearing sound in general, like the, all the all the the big variety was was very was very um, it helped in a lot of ways with just opening up. A bigger world of possibilities. Yeah. Absolutely, in some some conscious way, it it was it was it was still really powerful. Um, and and yeah. just to go back, it is actually one of our family stories of Rebecca with my mom and walking across the ferry stream, kind of by the um, threefold educational foundation. And this was after Rebecca had her cochlear <laughs> implant. And it was a moment when, you know, she said, Rebecca was saying, what, what is that sound? And, you know, my mom looking around, like, do you hear the car? No. Yeah. Is there a plane? You know, looking around and, you know, we couldn't figure it out until literally we figured out it was the murmuring of the mm. stream, you know? And yeah. so it, it was this constant, I think for Rebecca, it was really your will. You were so strong in your will forces that, you know, you that recognizing the sounds, but then putting them into context. Another, another family story that I love to tell is when, is when. So Rebecca's cochlear implant. She was one of the she was one of the first forty children her age to receive it. It was so experimental. Cochlear implants now are very well understood, but back in nineteen eighty five, it was it was like future technology basically. And so when Rebecca's implant was first put in there was um she had 
basically what happened was she had metal hairs implanted into the cochlea to mm -hmm. stimulate the nerve. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. think of it as a like a piano, yeah. piano okay. uh, scale with mm -hmm. keys on it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that that's that's a part that's inserted into the um, the inner ear. Yeah. And so, because of the the fact that it was uh, still a, a new implant at the time, um, the so there was essentially 22 piano keys on there. And now there's 24. Okay. So um, what that means is there's... If once the, the, the sound comes into the microphone, it gets turned into a, a electrical signal yeah. and it hits the keys yeah. at different points. So, but because it's, you know... Obviously, between the 22 and 24, I'm, I have a, a little more of a limited range, but it was still, uh, a range. it's still um, a range. And yeah. so... And so my point is, is that I remember very strongly as a child, Rebecca would often go in and get everything adjusted. Mm -hmm. But the one, one time she went in, and the way it was explained to me was that everyone's voice was assigned to major tones mm -hmm. and and correct me if i'm wrong but um but coming out of there was this built-in capacity that then when the technology got even better like overnight the cochlear device assigned four tones to everyone's language so rebecca went in one day and i sounded however i oh. sounded <laughs> and then she came back and it was like you know i had a different. I remember you definitely like being like, oh, you're like, no, wow, like who are you? you know, who are you? <laughs> yeah, like. Uh, but it was just this amazing ability to, to, work with sound and to, mm -hmm. you know, you, you didn't do anything different than a, a regular Waldorf school student did. You 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 did. There was a few adjustments going through grade school. You 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 didn't take French and German. You eventually just you just took one language, and I think you didn't do chorus. You might have done just the music, the violin, but but then that and and during those times that was for you know speech work um, and yeah. So I had a teacher of the deaf come in mm -hmm. and just work with me on just yeah. the language development and vocabulary development and just actually more so helping me with the pedagogical stories. Yeah. So kind of taking the stories and kind of having a chance to review them before the teacher, before Mrs. Manassas could come in and tell them. Yeah. Um, because a lot of where I, I was having trouble was not that I clearly understand it, but it's just the way the communication came across. Mm -hmm. So if we had, you know, uh, during nap time in the long, in the, First three grades, we we um, had to lay on our, our mats mm -hmm. and listen to a story. Well, that was all great and good, but the teacher reading the story, and maybe I really see her very well because yeah. I would be laying down and I couldn't really go to sleep listening. Yeah, I had to be looking at her. Yeah. So that was just one example of just a method of communication, and because but. The, the the thing was about the the school we were at. Everyone was aware mm -hmm. that they they really did go above and beyond providing help when they could. So, in other words, yes, I I I wanted to make sure I didn't feel like I was disrupting the natural flow of mm -hmm. the storytelling. So that's when my mom. Um, we get a hold of the stories ahead of time, mm -hmm. and Mrs. Manassas would help us figure out what the lessons were ahead of time, so that I was familiar with them. Mm -hmm. That is, um, so, you know, I think about some of our conversations about like the fourfold human being and how like the life body is so frequently not something we're conscious of. Right. It's something that you're only conscious of if something is not working in a way, you know, and I, I think about how so much of 
of childhood or my childhood is literally complete unawareness of my body. <laughs> you know, and and I and I think about how different your experience must have been of as a child having you know, having this very distinct awareness of your body and the function of your body, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so um you know, that's I think that's essentially what one of the main practice that I've had in the in the world of school, I've had to practice, be aware and be, you know, listening to myself. Yeah. Um, so that's where I, I I noticed pretty much right away where where I was able to be really comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, such as you know, playing on this, you know, playing uh, on sports teams. Although in the younger grades, we didn't get into any real sports. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we we had a lot of um, just games and uh, physical activities that were catered around uh, different themes and stuff. So, um. I just excelled to that. I was yeah. just like, oh, this is great. I'm, you know, I'm able to move. I'm able to be really comfortable. Yeah. Um, and that was such a big benefit. Yeah. Of, of the world of experience. Um, and even if the arrhythmia, I didn't understand <laughs> arrhythmia. I think some of us haven't really understood arrhythmia until yeah. we graduated. Um Although it's interesting because they with me incorporate the music. Yes. Or the speech. Or speech. That was harder for me. I, I did not. Um, I could do the movements, but that wasn't something that I was nat- naturally drawn to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more of kind of more of the competitive games that I was drawn to, more of just having that willful. Uh, sports mm-hmm. available that that I was looking for. Yeah, and I think it, you you also live so much in your visual space. I mean, you, Rebecca, you, you know, would read lips and read eyebrows, and you were like oh, yeah. my secret. Like you could tell what was people were saying from across the room <laughs> and, and and stuff like that. But but what that translated in for school wise was, I think you you dove really deeply into the artistic aspects of, of your education, right? Yes. So, well, I, I don't, I, I really dove deeply into anything that had to do with working with my hands and, mm-hmm. and, and movement. So outside of sports and, and the movement side of things, um, when we got into sculpture and mm-hmm. woodworking and painting Handwork. Um, it was just. It just was. It felt very natural for me. I, I was able to um, work well with those methods. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I do think looking back, you know, again with an with an adult's perspective, you know, I can look back in grade school and recognize how many of my classmates had learning differences like dyslexia, right? Or how many kids were experiencing symptoms of, you know, ADHD or things like that. I can look yeah. back and see those things, but with every single one of those students, I also remember for every time they were bouncing out of their chair in math class, I also remember the time in, you know, in blacksmithing when they, when everyone else was making a butter knife, when they made a sword, <laughs> you know, right. right. And, and that, that for, for we all just over time, I saw so many people come up against challenges, but then I also got to see them in another area accomplish incredible things that I could never even fathom doing. And I think that that was such a gift for me. And I can only imagine what a gift it was for those students as well. You know, whereas the classroom was generally a place where I felt pretty comfortable, right? It, it didn't, I didn't have those same struggles. That's not to say I didn't 
have, you know, things that were challenging for me, but it wasn't a, a battlefield. Yeah. Well, so also another point of my experience I just want to mention is, so the, the, um, it was, yes, things were comfortable and nurturing and all that, but it was still very challenging. Yeah. Um, on purpose, like it wasn't just a safe space. It was also a safe space where you could be challenged. Like I was, I was, I wasn't always comfortable, but I, I was safe, mm-hmm. but I wasn't always comfortable. That's a difference. Yeah. So it was kind of like, you know, going through getting older, you know, you were asked to do a presentation, to perform in a play, to um, take on more responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And that was always hard for me because, you know, with, you know, I was, I, I, I wanted to just be comfortable. And, mm-hmm. but with the world of experience, they, they, really give you opportunities to just make the next step forward in your mm-hmm. development. And that's something I really appreciated from all the teachers I've had. They weren't just, they knew that I maybe needed accommodations in certain areas, but they didn't say, oh, well, never mind. Don't worry. Don't try that because you can't do it. They yeah. said, no, you need to step up too and just see what you can do. Um, yeah, good point. That's and that's I, really important. I thought that yeah. was such a a great that made it worthwhile for me. Mm-hmm. It's really nice to hear you articulate that because I think that there, um, you know, I always think about like <laughs> I think about swimming and children learning to swim. And I feel like there was a time where everyone had a story about their dad just picking them up and throwing them in the lake, right? <laughs> and, um, and it seems like culturally we said, um, let's let's not do that anymore. That's probably not what's best for our kids. And so then there was, you know, and so then we're, we're being really gentle. And when they say stop, then we're stopping. And, and it, that it's, it's a pendulum, right? And, and we're trying to find our way as humans living in community together. And we're trying to learn from the past. But I, I feel like I have noticed that there is a prioritization of comfort. Right. And that that is seen as, as a very, very high priority. And I think you make a really important distinction between safety and comfort, right? Or are you safe? Are you feeling unsafe or are you feeling uncomfortable? Right. And I think that's that's a challenge facing parents. I think it's a challenge facing educators. I think a lot of, you know, a lot of children are asked to do something outside of their comfort zone and they go home and they say, I felt really uncomfortable today because I was doing something scary. And what, right. you know, what do we as adults around children do with that information? Right. And I I think that your, you know, your perspective of kind of, sure, in the moment, you probably would have loved to not... <laughs> You know, not give the presentation, but that in the long run, an appreciation for that, you know, that, that, that continued being presented with opportunities to grow. Yeah. Oh, so also I think the fact that there were people, uh, our teachers who were observant Mm -hmm. and knew when to ask for a challenge. I think that was why our school was such an amazing place is the people were the teachers and the and the staff was just we we had such a great relationship with everyone that you know I so I can give you an example of a challenge where for years I avoided I I hated being in front of people. I hated <laughs> giving presentations. I, I'm even to this day I still struggle with that. Um, but the, my teacher, Mrs. Manassas, she, for years, um, I only had a small part in, in the play because mm-hmm. she knew I, I was not many for it. And then by the time we were in eighth grade, I got the lead in the play. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if she, I, you know, don't know if that was, it was just how things 
naturally happen or, or if she was waiting for that to happen, I don't know. But but by that point, I was like, oh, oh wow, this is a huge deal. Like I worked my way up. Now, if she hadn't given me a lead earlier, you know, in fifth grade or something, I would have just totally shot it down. Yeah. But because she saw what I could do, she put me in, into a very uncomfortable situation, but she knew I was ready for it. Mm-hmm. And so then <laughs> I can't say if I did well in the play. I, I honestly actually don't remember. Yes, you did well. How, I, I can play. tell you, you did well. Okay. Well, I just remember I had to play A Tale of Two Cities, Lucy oh, Minette oh. in A Tale of Two Cities. And it was a hard part, and there was thousands of lines I had to memorize. And Tale of Two Cities is tough. Yes. And then I had, you know, we had people coming from out of town who were grandparents and mm-hmm. aunts and uncles, and they thought I, because of my accent, um, that, you know, the the accent ran well with the, the lead role. <laughs> I was like, great. <laughs> um, so anyway, it was, they a, thought it was they'd, just... They'd flown you in from Europe, you know, to, <laughs> yeah, to really lend some authenticity to the play. <laughs> yeah, something like that. So, um, but it was, it was just... I just appreciated that, you know, teachers were able to say, okay, we're going to challenge you right now, mm-hmm. but you're ready for it. You, you, sh- you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that ties so well into sports, I think, yes. too. So what, when did you start playing sports and what was your experience like in more organized competitive athletics? So the school had a great basketball team, volleyball team. We had a great uh, gym teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, he was around for a long time, so he, he just knew how to handle all of us. Um, but uh, so I immediately started playing, I think it was seventh and eighth grade mm-hmm. that the sports started. Um, so I was in every one of them softball, yeah. baseball. Um, and in high school, I just kept going and just was, I think I ended up. Um, Staying with basketball and volleyball um, all the way to the end. In 12th grade, I think I, I, think, um, I even started, I, I was asked to coach the, the girls' volleyball team. So oh, that wow. was really, that was so much fun. Yeah. So I had a chance to be in the role of a mentor. Yeah. And that was, that was a really great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, after, of course, after college, I just kept going with sports in, in college. So it, we, we had a great sports program. Yeah. Nice. So let's, let's, um, let's go back a little bit and talk about high school. What was the transition from grade school to high school like for you? Aside from the haircut you gave me in that day. <laughs> Please tell me the story. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm teasing. No, I She did she did ask me for a haircut and, and she entered ninth grade. Oh I know if I asked you or you keep on here. I no, know, but, but you my sister wanted a short haircut and I think my mom was too nervous and I was like, Sure, I'll give you a haircut. <laughs> no. And I, of this course is, the day before first, no, the day the, before ninth grade. Yeah, the, the the day before my sister started high school. and You were a brave woman. <laughs> and so I, of course, didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't layer the haircut or yeah. anything like that. I just so, kind of hacked it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just basically like a bowl cut, like right around below the ears. Yeah. And... Of course, my hair be all fizzy. It just went out. Yeah, and then with so the, the school picture. We had a school picture <laughs> taken pretty soon in the, the first month or so, and I was, it, it still lives in infamy. How, how did you? Yeah, did so you, I, I'm still I'm still <laughs> mad about it. I was gonna say, how did you get payback? What was the retribution like? Uh, <laughs> oh, I know. I'm still talking on a podcast about it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, it was the the transition was uh, was a little nerve wracking, but I think I was. I think every grade by the end of every grade, you're just ready for the the, the next, next yes 
uh, step up. So I, in a way, I was ready, um, but I was also kind of okay. What is it gonna be like? And you know, it's such a big change from having the great teacher to now having just a whole group of diff different teachers. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know what that was going to be like. And I know Matthew at that point, he had already gone to St. John's. Um, yeah, I'd left. And, you, you know, he had left. What's the age difference? We're Five years? Four and a half. Four and a half years? What's our age difference? Oh, four. Four, four years. Four years, four yeah. years. yeah. Okay. Three and a half, four years. So you had the legacy of Matthew, but not Matthew. Right. In high school. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I would exactly. I would come and pick you up from middle school, though. That was a thing. We'd walk home and stuff. Yeah, so, right, that was a big part of... Um, that was like middle school for you. That was middle school, yeah. We we were um, always walking to school and from school. and. Yeah, we were gifted to be really close to the school, so we mm -hmm. would walk home or almost every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we had a lot of time to share stories and yeah talk about things um talk about his really inspiring senior project <laughs> yes oh brother oh actually no he didn't confine in me with that one i think that that was something he was oh yeah that was Whoa. all egotistical on my part that was all you would have you would have steered him differently if he'd told you <laughs> exactly <laughs> I would have been like, are you sure you were a swimming pool in the middle of your house? Where your bed is above it. Uh, what's your bed above the swimming pool? Yeah, that was probably the best part. Of <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, I mean, you know, I think a lot of times in in high school, people start to kind of find their stride, start to maybe hone in on gifts, right? Areas where they feel, you know, kind of like a hint of a calling, right? Or, um, or or was it still kind of just figuring it all out along for the ride? Like, what was your experience like in high school? Well, so um, there was definitely a... I was definitely noticing that, you know, obviously I'm very... Uh, that I was already a very visual person. So, um, and I always got praised for my artistic abilities and... Um, especially with the main lesson books, mm -hmm. when we, when we did those in grade school, like I, I, I went full out with illustrations and my colors and then just writing essays, not so much. Um, I hated, I hated <laughs> the writing side of things. Um, but the, if you ask me to illustrate the book, I, I will make it the most beautiful book ever. Yeah. So by, by the time I got to high school, it was you know, I, I I knew that I was already kind of prepped towards the arts mm -hmm. in some ways. Um, and my art teacher actually was very encouraging for me to take actual art classes. And mm. um, you went, you traveled into New York City, right? Yes. So by the time that I think it was. Oh, in eleventh grade, when we had yeah. to start thinking about a senior project. Yeah. Um, I had a. I actually had a, a an old mentor, a, a painter. Who, I was mentoring with at first. He was. Um, I I remember all of it right now, but I I remember I really appreciated his. Uh, showing me a few things. He was a professional painter, and he was his style was just really interesting. And and um, but I decided, okay, I'm gonna try to find a program. I don't know. I remember how I came up. I think my own teacher was involved with it, but she, somehow I ended up taking classes in at Cuba Union in mm -hmm. New York City uh, for twelfth grade. Oh, wow. actually, between the summer of 11th grade and 12th grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Cooper Union. That's right. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a, it's it's a, it's one of the top art schools in wow. in in the East Coast, but th their program was 
based on just developing a portfolio and, and there was there was different aspects involved. There were creative writing and uh, printmaking mm. and sculpture and, and some drawing and painting involved. Mm-hmm. So I remember actually diving into that program for the summer, knowing that I was going to incorporate some of it into the Xenon project. Oh, okay. So I was kind of a... I was already thinking about it in the mm-hmm. 11th grade going to 12. And um, and it was a much, if, if I, I, I do remember for Green Meadow, Sino Projects were a huge deal. Yeah, they were And when awesome. I hear about other schools, you know, maybe not making as big of a deal, I'm like, wait, I can't believe you made us go to this <laughs> process <laughs> so in-depth. But, um, but anyway, it was really neat because... It, it gave me a chance to kind of explore the arts. And so what I ended up doing was, I don't know, I was kind of like following Matthew's train of thought here. I, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew I wanted to um, produce some sculptures, some life-size sculptures. And I <laughs> ended up doing three of them. One in plaster. Uh-huh. One in this unique cardboard, gluing the cardboard together in pieces. And uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but... Um, and then one in uh, using... Um, what did I do two or three? I thought we I used the copper. You had something with copper piping. Yeah, I, I learned to solder and weld. Oh, cool. And so for each three of them, I had to do a huge frame and yeah. get the limbs all right and then put, work on, on top of the frame. So it was a whole learning how to create these really big sculptures. Um, yeah, the cardboard, Rebecca had like, if you think of your leg, she had like, you know, made a leg in, in, in quadrants. So there was like the profile of the leg mm-hmm. and then it was like the the cross the sagittal is it the sagittal plane? Yeah. And then and then so that uh-huh. made these quadrants and then she she cut cardboard wedges wow. and stacked the wedges between the the, the cross. Oh okay. And in but and then and then the the size of the wedge was would indicate like muscles and stuff. So the wow. wedges would go out and then they go in and it was like thousands and thousands of like pieces <laughs> of cardboard. That's incredible. Yeah, it was <laughs> I was very intense. Um but you know, it was you know, I had to consider it was just so many things to consider. I think my brain was really good at solving multiple problems at once. Yeah. And um so I think the whole basement or the basement of our house was <laughs> out of commission for a whole year. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and you could smell smoke coming up and I was soldering things and putting pieces we'd, together. We'd occasionally, I actually wasn't there, but I, my mom, my, our mother would like poke her head down and be like, okay. And be like, okay. <laughs> we weren't really allowed down there. I guess when I was doing. Once the Xeno project came around, and we had to do a presentation, and it, it, went, it went well, and we put the sculptures outside of the, in the courtyard for uh-huh. a while. Um, so every time I walked by, I was like, oh, I, I, I could see where I could do that better. Oh, but, totally. Yeah. Um, but I think that prompted me to apply there for, for, art. for after high school. Yeah. So I applied to Keeper Union, and then I applied to Smith College. Okay. Um, and I didn't get in to Keeper Union. It's a free tuition college, so it's really hard to get into. Yeah. And anyway. And Smith is also was hard to get into, but I, I just felt like it, it was a good thing that I got accepted there because it just provided the liberal arts and mm-hmm. a well-rounded education that yeah. I actually uh, was looking for yeah. anyway. Um, so. so then what did you, did you continue on with fine art at Smith? So that's an interesting story, yeah. So I think, you know, 
the when I got this med, uh, there was no core curriculum, so mm. you can basically take any classes you want. And I think that got me in trouble because I just liked. I mean, yes, I was very into the owns and um, being artist and all that. Mm-hmm. But I also had a lot of other interests. And so it was kind of like, you know, a child at the candy store. You just yeah. didn't know what direction to go into. Um, I didn't know that I wanted to kind of make up for my lack of languages mm. and my lack of maybe the overseas experience mm-hmm. that a lot of older students would get in, in the high school. Mm-hmm by going overseas and studying a language. Well, I didn't get that. And yeah. so I thought, okay, I'm ready to try going to South America somewhere. And t- and I was willing to take a Spanish class. Mm. So, um, but unfortunately, the, the professor I had was from Argentina. Mm. So if you know anything yes, from... <laughs> Argentinian Spanish-speaking people, they speak very fast. Yes. So it was probably, I, it was probably not the route I should have gone, but um, but it was still good to have that experience uh, because I knew I wanted to travel, but mm-hmm. I just did, I, I just couldn't find what that was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and it came later, like my time to travel came later. But, um, so but my what my my main experience with the first year at Smith was that okay, I I really don't know why what I do, mm-hmm. um, and I'm trying all these different things, um, but it. it I knew socially though, my my social life was amazing. Yeah. Because from the world of a lot of, a lot of, what the benefit of the world of education is, when you make friends, you you make friends for life. Like you, yeah, they're good friends, you know. So, um, so I was making those kind of friends in the first year, um, but after the first year went by, I was like, you know, I'm not really sure what. I'm wanting to do. And so I talked to my mom about it and she got in touch with my uncle who used to be a student with a um, with a teacher who uh, ran a one-man classical drawing school in Pennsylvania, Copley, yeah. Pennsylvania. So, and my uncle said, well, you should give him a call and see you can go study with him just for the summer hmm. and just see if it piques yeah. your interest in, in, in the arts. This is called Myron Barnstone, mm-hmm. right? Myron Barnstone. In the Barnstone Studios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So um, so I said, okay, that sounds really interesting. So I called him and, of course, he thought I was from Ukraine or, yeah. you know, Russia or something. And he, oh, some somewhere exotic and... It's like, oh yeah, just definitely come study with me. So, um, so I instead of going back to Smith, I actually went to study with him for about a year and a half, and I had this amazing classical drawing and design training mm-hmm. uh, where um, he he taught all the classes, but he was. Um, it it was a it it's it's a it's one of those places where it's just a once in a lifetime opportunity mm-hmm. opportunity, and it was very rigorous and it just was totally up my alley with pushing myself really really hard on on first of all all the arts that I was already involved with mm-hmm. and also with um, the um, Sorry, I'm it's probably like track. the art, the art theory, the side of it, right? The, the classical theory theories of yeah, proportion, technique, and yeah, technique. the technique of of yeah. of the own. So, because what I was finding with 
when, with my time in high school with pre- preparing for the Xenome project, I was also taking taking on classes and other at other own schools mm-hmm. outside of Cuba Union, and I was running into this this wall of like, okay, the the there's this a lot of the art world um, that you're a student of don't really teach you a whole lot. They don't teach you technique mm-hmm. a whole lot. They just want to have you um, come to the classroom and just draw how you feel or or, yeah. or, or just express, express yourself <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And I just was a little getting a little... No, I wasn't really get, gaining a lot of knowledge from that. Mm-hmm. And so when I found my own barnstone, it was like, wow, this guy is giving me... So much knowledge and mm-hmm. and, and, and like and foundation, I would say foundation. foundation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it was all, all about, you know, figure, figure drawing, portraiture, color theory, mm. um, and you had to first of all pass a course in order before you can even study with him in other areas. You had to first pass the. Yeah. classical drawing design yeah. course, which was the foundational course. And I had gone through it multiple times because it was just um, not because I couldn't get it, but because I was inter- starting to realize that I was interested in teaching it. Mm-hmm. And so the, so mine knew of my interest in teaching. And so he, he made me his teacher's assistant. Mm. And so we slowly, um, I I was able to spend a lot of time helping him teach the material. Yeah, and that was really what kind of connected the pieces for me from my world of days and just my future. Like, okay, this is definitely an area I want to go into is teaching foundational art. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's it's not material that that the knowledge and the material from these foundational courses are not really out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, okay, this this is a great way to be a pioneer in the field hmm. and kind of push boundaries. I'm, I've always just liked to push boundaries a little bit. Yeah. yeah, and just you know be strong on it. And so then. After I studied with him, I went into, um, I thought I wanted to um, not go back to Smith, but go to Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts in Philadelphia, which was a continuation of traditional teaching methods mm-hmm. and um, subjects. And so um, I was going to get a dual degree from the Pennsylvania Academy in liberal arts and an arts degree from the academy, but I was again finding that in the art world again it's it's kind of interesting. Where if you just it's it, you know the the type of people you want to that that I was wanting to find were not really at the school. They were mm-hmm. more of the crowd of oh yeah, it's. You know, I have a friend here. You can win this own show over here because I'm friends with the director and mm-hmm. you get to win that show. And it was just very political, mm-hmm. politically driven. So I wasn't really interested in staying there anymore. Um, so I went back to Smith. Mm. And at that point, I mean, it, it, it was just, I, I just felt like I was just kind of trying to, Figured things out, yeah. And I found something, but I just didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So I went back to Smith, and I was able to take all my own credits, apply into the degree at Smith, mm. pretty much get most of my degree done, mm-hmm. and then just spend the rest of my Smith career just taking electives mm. and just rounding out my liberal arts education wow. so it was like it actually worked out really well at the end yeah because i got my specialized degree mm-hmm. but i was able to explore all these amazing classes of teachers i, I specifically looked at literature and creative writing mm-hmm. and 
um, all these other stuff. So it was, it kind of felt like things were kind of going all over the place, but it actually felt more like a bit of a, it didn't yeah. have a, it's a meeting point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I, I was able to get, get to the takeout point and just have something <laughs> yeah. down the road. But, um, but after that, I knew that I wanted to continue the teaching side of things. And so um, I, f I found a program, a master's program, where I could dive into the teaching aspect of it. It was it's it's a master's in own teaching. Mm -hmm. So um that, that was at the Savannah College of Art and Design. Oh, SCAD. That's SCAD. That's yeah. SCAD. Yeah. Um there, I I again, you know, just be the rebel in me, you know, pushing boundaries a little bit. I didn't really want to do the traditional route of going the MFA mm -hmm. route because that meant two years by yourself in a studio. Yeah. producing work i was like you know that's not really teaching me any teaching skills yeah so the mat well was it was all about the teaching mm -hmm. um but come to um you know it's still it's just one of those things where you you you, you took a bed and then yeah. I, t I took the bed and i was thinking okay at the end of that i'll have a portfolio i'll have this wealth of education educational knowledge, but I still need the MFA eventually mm -hmm. at some yeah. point. So yeah. it's, you know, it's still a work, work in progress. But, um, so now I have this, this master's degree um, and I'm still trying to find a way to bring the classical drawing and design training to um, to different students. So I have teaching gigs that mm -hmm. I'm that I'm involved with. And um, yeah, you have a my... studio and you you teach adult classes now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my goal is to teach at a university level. Mm. Um, but right now I'm teaching. I'm I'm developing uh, a finance program at this one place in Bernie, and then I'm. Uh, teaching at a an old college in San Antonio, and then I'm which college in San Antonio? Uh, Southwest School of Art. Yeah, I went to Trinity in San Antonio, so it's, you're in my neck of the woods. Nice. That's where my mom's from too. Nice. It's a beautiful part of the country. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's it's so um, it's so refreshing to hear you very clearly acknowledge that you're still on the journey. I oh, think yeah. there is a pressure that, you know, by the time that you are five years out of whatever higher education you do, that you're, you figured it out. Right. right? And that oh, you're yeah. set. And, and so then for the, everyone in reality who is on the journey and it hasn't settled in by the time they're five years out, there's this kind of battle of, did I fail? Did I, am I doing something wrong? And I think that, you know, it's, it's the truth of the matter is that it is still, you know, it is a, a journey and it is a, yeah. a, a process and, you know, you can, you can be settled in something and it can change, you know, Matthew, how long have you been teaching when okay. school closed? 18 years. 18 years, right? You can be in a career for 18 years and then all of a sudden things change and suddenly you're starting a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I think that like, that's so, it's so reassuring. And I think so many people need to hear that too. Yeah. yeah. Need to hear that that is, that is life and that is okay. And that there's joy in still being on the journey and joy in not being stuck or kind of calcified in one place for yeah. the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think with the world of education too is it's it's also, you know, it may be that I was down on this on path because of my early childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. But really it's like 
I can also be an athlete. I can also mm-hmm. be um, a writer, yeah. have some books made. I can also be working on other projects. And I think that's a really cool lesson to be learned. Yeah. If, if you have you can gone be so through, many things, you can be so many things. The problem is, what is it? You know, just at least start, and then you can branch out. Yeah. I mean, I, to that point, I remember being an athlete, meeting other athletes who were in more traditional schools who, when they had shown kind of a glimmer of some special talent in sports in fifth, sixth grade, all other extracurriculars fell away to focus on that one thing. Yeah. And I think that one of the gifts of a Waldorf school is there's it in no way prevents you from taking something to a level of mastery, but along the way you will still be doing music. You will still be doing theater. You will still be pursuing all these other things. You're a great example where you had this glimmer of interest in art and you sought out opportunities to take it to a higher level beyond maybe what you were getting in the classroom. For me, that was basketball. I went kind of beyond my school team and was playing on a, a club team in the summers, but, but that, Throughout it all, you are so many things. And so that when these, you know, as you go along in life, you do know that, oh, I can also, you know, I can also call on these other pieces of myself. Maybe I haven't used them in a few years. Maybe they haven't seen the sun, but that they're all there. Right. And that's an amazing thing. Yeah. It's a gift that gives, it's a gift that you have all these latent experiences that you've at least tried something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Oh, you welcome. For being here. Yeah, no, thank you for having us. me. Uh, Matthew usually asks this question. Do you have any questions for us before oh, we yes. wrap up? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, really? Oh. Um, you're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think just overall I just want to say you both of you are just doing an amazing job with the podcast and you know it's just wonderful to hear all the stories get give people the opportunity to tell their stories um because there's i mean i'm such a big advocate for the world of education as we all are and um so just keep 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 it up like keep doing it keep inspiring people i'm i'm hoping we'll, we'll you know more and more people will listen to this and um just know that your efforts are being recognized so thank you so much thank you thanks yeah it's been this has been a wonderful conversation rebecca thank you thank you would you like to be a sponsor on hard beeswax email us at hardbeeswax at gmail.com That concludes another episode of Hard Beeswax. Thanks for listening. For episodes and more, please visit our website, hardbeeswax.transistor.fm.